Welcome to Drop the Hammer. Today is Tuesday, April 9th, 2019. Along with Ben Sheeran, I'm Teddy Rodquist. Ben, what's going on today? Hey, I told you I had that ace in the hole with Kyle Busch right there. It was a pretty good event ending to that Bristol race, huh? Yeah, that was. That was that was an awesome ending. You're right. I mean, and we, we knew it was going to be a strong pick. And how about Kurt Busch, though, giving him, giving him a run for his money? Hey, it couldn't have been a uh, better race for the Drop the Hammer crew. Got one, two on our uh, race picks. So, and the Bush brothers seeing them, uh, seeing them running for a win at Bristol, that was pretty cool. But uh, I don't know. As much as I wanted Kyle Busch to win for my own personal satisfaction, I kind of wanted to see if Kurt Busch would have actually wrecked Kyle, uh, like he said he would in his post-race interview. Yeah, that that was, uh, I, you know, something he was uh, can't asking us about on Twitter afterwards, you know, and I, I definitely hit him with the retweet saying, yeah, yeah, you should have. Um, but Kurt Busch, that's, it's just another, another race and what's been a really strong season for him, even though he hasn't won a race, he's finished top 10 in all but two races this year in his first year with Chip Ganassi equipment. And while we've seen Larson struggle, Kurt Busch has excelled. Yeah. It's, it's kind of interesting how Larson was the banner name at Chip Ganassi racing and, Everyone kind of expected Kurt Busch to come in and be silent and probably be like Jamie McMurray and kind of run in the, you know, 15th to 20th range. But he's really come in and come strong. I think everyone was expecting him to kind of come in, do his one last year and retire. But, I mean, he's having a really strong year. And if he can get a win, I I don't see why he couldn't be, you know, at least a threat to make it to the Final Four in in the playoffs. Oh, absolutely. I mean... I once you get to the playoffs, you know, you can never count out those veterans. And even though Kurt's championship, you know, his the inaugural year of the chase was 15 years ago now. I mean, I, exactly. I would not doubt his experience. And if he can find a way to get a win or just try to point his way in there, we'll see what happens. But, you know, a couple other guys that I've really liked, a guy that quietly had a good day that we don't talk about a whole lot because he, has, you know, only has one win and stuff. I thought Paul Menard had a good day. Really, even though we saw the Bush brothers go one and two, Ford had a really strong day. There were six Fords in the top nine, led by Logano finishing, you know, first among that group. Yeah, uh, you talk about Paul Menard. But, yeah, I mean, another Ford who really kind of flew under the radar and had a solid day was uh, Ryan Newman. Um, but yeah, he. Uh, Paul Menard, he's he's really kind of having a, a, a quietly okay year, you know. He's he's always been one of those guys that um, I thought maybe uh, didn't get enough credit. Maybe when he was at RCR, uh, he he made the chase on points in 2014 and really was a factor to you know run up front front all week uh, or all year last year. Um, but another guy who was having a good run that I kind of wanted to talk about. Really didn't get like the the finish that I thought he deserved, uh, but Chris Busher was running up in the top ten most of the race. Ended up finishing twenty second, um, probably off that pit sequence. He re- really didn't have any, uh, didn't, wasn't able to get up front there. But uh, he was really running to the top ten most of the day, that from what I could see. So yeah, I think Chris Busher has become a really good driver at Bristol, kind of like what Ricky House was in the early in his career where. He really was able to shine at Bristol. Yeah, we you know we saw a couple of guys that you know haven't done much this year actually have pretty good days. 
you know, for it being one of the tougher tracks on the circuit. You know, we saw Ty, Ty Dillon. That was awesome how he stole stage one from, from Boyer there. Boyer electing to stay out, trying to get the stage win in the playoff points. And Ty Dillon just, just by a nose. That was really cool to see. First career stage win, I believe, for Ty Dillon. And then, um, yeah, you know, you bring up Busher. We talked about Menard. It was, I thought, yeah, even though it was a traditional finish with Kyle Busch winning, there were some unheralded names that had strong days. I agree, I agree. And I think there's a huge what if, though, of the weekend if Chase Elliott wouldn't have gotten into that wreck because you saw it. He allegedly lost power steering after that wreck, which at Bristol must have to be the worst thing to ever happen to you. You know, you could have problems, but having to go 450 laps of power steering, that has just to be the most excruciated thing you can ever have but he still remained in the top 10 got back he was in the top five at uh some points in the race and i gotta think that car must have been really really strong like you could have definitely uh barring that wreck with Corey lajoy we might have seen the nine car just absolutely just run away with this race because that's that that was really impressive to me to see him hold on like that because you see it at other tracks and when guys lose power steering, that's it. They'll lose laps and that stuff. But Chase Elliott was able to hang in there and finish outside the top 10, but still had a really good run and was able to get some solid uh, stage points still. Yeah, you're right. He he was looking super strong early. Definitely looked like he had a, a top three car early on in stage one there. And my first thought when I saw the the wreck with LaJoy, and, and they said this on the, the broadcast crew, uh, Mike, Daryl Waltrip and Jeff Gordon did. They said they were talking about how nice of a save it was to avoid hitting the inside wall. That was my first thought too. I was like, all right, you know, he, he got, that wasn't nearly as bad as it could have been. But then, yeah, you know, we started hearing over the radio about the power steering and that is a really impressive physical accomplishment, I think by, by Elliot. I mean, that's, that takes some strength. I know it probably wasn't as bad when he was turning to the left since it's you know more frequent but when he had to work the wheel back to the right I bet that was that was pretty challenging and even though he did finish outside the top 10 yeah I was really impressed with Elliott as well absolutely um I think I think another thing we had to hit on though is the attendance at the spring race I mean it was only 30 38,000 when Bristol came yeah that's the number I got too 38,000 yeah, I mean that's that that's bad for a track that everyone seems to think to be the um the best racing track in the NASCAR circuit and I don't know, I think this kind of brought up an unpopular opinion, but um I I love Bristol. I want them to stay at two races, but if they're only going to have 38,000, you know, at the at the spring race and people are going to turn around at the night race in August and they're going to put 80,000 people in the seats. I, I think we might see the last of the Bristol spring race in 2020. That doesn't mean that I, I think we would see Bristol lose a race. We could see them go to a double header. If, um, if the Pocono double header is successful enough and they could do a trial run, but I'm thinking the most likely thing to happen in 2021, if Nashville and NASCAR end up um, reaching an agreement and uh, are able to schedule a cup date there. I'm thinking Nashville's going to replace the Bristol spring race just because it makes the most sense. You know, that's, that's the race that seems to be one of the most struggling attendance wise. And 
that would if they would keep that race and add Nashville, that's a third race in the state of Tennessee. I know they're not really near each other, but you know that's that'd be something that I think NASCAR would look at and say, you know, we're we're gonna have to take Bristol off um, one race, and I'm sure Marcus Smith won't be happy, but I think that might be the most logical move uh, to fit Nashville into the schedule. Yeah, oh, yeah, I agree. I think it's a, a very strong possibility as well that 2020 will be the last year we see, you know, the Bristol formatted the current way it is. And I do want to say that even though the the attendance was not very strong on Sunday, I I did enjoy seeing, you know, Daryl Waltrip, you know, get, get to wave the, the green flag and just the, the tribute he got. I think it was cool to to send him off like that. And, and we're not done. We still got some cool races with, with wall trip left, but I thought that was cool at a place where no drivers won more than he has, but to get back on really on track, I absolutely agree. I think that we will see NASCAR go to just the Bristol night race in 2021, because I've seen, you know, NASCAR getting kind of ripped on social media and it's easy to do so for, you know, the pictures of how sparse the attendance looked and, you know, them having to close off sections of seating, but the Bristol night race is still extraordinary and draws and draws exceptionally well. So that race is among, you know, the biggest spectacle in the sport. So that race is going to, you know, stay where it is, but I, I like your idea of moving to Nashville and whether it is Nashville or somewhere else. Yeah. I think it's very high likelihood that 2020 is the last year with the two races at Bristol. Yeah, it's it stinks that they're gonna have to take off a short track race because I think they really just need to go balanced for the twenty twenty one schedule, balance it between the road courses, uh restrictor play tracks, kinda have those be, you know, kind of three or four races at road courses and restrictor plays, and then kind of, you know, fill the rest of the schedule, balance it between shorter tracks and um the speedways. Um it, it would stink to see Bristol lose a race, but I think the, the bottom line is I think everyone and including the city of Nashville is going to do whatever they can to get NASCAR back to the fairground speedway. Um, yeah. And I, I think, yeah, Bristol's probably going to be, uh, they'll probably get the chopping block, but um, some more interesting news. I think uh, this week was NASCAR yesterday. Uh, Adam Stern reported that NASCAR rejected a title sponsor extension from monster um, stating that they want their, uh, three-tiered uh, level of sponsorship for the whole sport to move forward and I thought that was really interesting I don't know what your opinion on this Ted is but I think this is a great move for NASCAR it finally after the embarrassment they had trying to replace Sprint they finally have kind of a move where they had the upper hand in negotiating they're not desperate looking for sponsorships and it seems like they're going to get be able to generate more money for the sport with this t- tiered sponsorship, uh, whatever that ends up kind of working its way out to. But um, I, I think it was really good news for at least the sport and, you know, their kind of recovery economically. Yeah. And it is, it is going to be different to, to give, you know, the people that may be listening that might not know what we're talking about, an idea of what we are, NASCAR is potentially looking at, for the first time, not having someone sponsor, if I'm not mistaken, not having someone sponsor the entire series. Like we had, you know, 
the Winston Cup Series, now the Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series. There won't be a sponsor on the entire series. It would be, you know, for example here, I don't know if this is one of the companies that would do it. It could be, but it, it would be something like, you know, NASCAR racing on Fox presented by Coca-Cola. And, you know, certain companies may have certain races or certain portions of the season. That's my understanding of how it would work. Something like that. Yeah, I, I think I think it's worth a shot because, like you said, you know, NASCAR, they, they got to take some chances at this point and, uh, you know, do what they can to get more, you know, business sponsorship back in the sport. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's kind of they're doing what the Premier League over in soccer is doing, and they're kind of – it's going to look kind of similar, like you said, uh, NASCAR presented by ex-sponsor. And I really think what my, – my philosophy on what's going to happen is the sponsor that is presenting the series that week is going to get a decal similar to the playoff emojis. I know they were testing good point, good point. Um, the NASCAR heat uh, kind of decals on all the cars during um, like the Daytona 500, and I believe the first races. And I think that's what it's going to end up uh, looking like. They're going to have a big chunk of sponsorship on every car um, instead of having just – and then they'll have the NASCAR race car sticker instead of just having, you know, the Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series. So I, I think it's going to be interesting to definitely see that. Um, but I'm excited. If it if it brings uh, new revenue to the sport and allows more companies to get deeper involved in the NASCAR, I'm all for it. Because I, I think the Monster Energy partnership, while it's been cool and it's a brand that's fit, fitted NASCAR pretty well, um, they really didn't get the best out of the title sponsorship this last go-around as I think they could have. Yeah, and I, this is my takeaway. Maybe I'm interpreting it the wrong way or just viewing it with too much optimism, but the way I interpreted it, interpreted it was that it seemed like Monster kind of enter, entered this deal with some skepticism, and now we're hearing reports that you know Monster wanted to renew and NASCAR was like, you know, we're going to explore something else. So I think it's a positive sign for NASCAR that it seemed like you know, monster really, you know, the idea really grew on them and they wanted to, wanted it to continue. And another thing that I want to say about NASCAR that really touches back on what we were talking about before with Bristol and it's easy to rip on NASCAR and they'll probably get ripped on if they do indeed get rid of Bristol, like we were saying for one of the races would be likely, but the fans, from what I've seen, wanted more short track racing. And, you know, Bristol's as good of short track racing as it gets. But the, the fans just didn't show out for that race and haven't for the last few years. So, well, NASCAR's probably going to get ripped on for, for you know, changing the schedule here. I really, I'm really not going to rip on them for it because it seems like they gave it a shot to, you know, work out the way the fans wanted. And people aren't coming. It's just a business decision. Yeah, um, my theory on it, and I've seen it popular on Twitter, and it's just, you, you can't, you know, knock on NASCAR making decisions when, you know, and talking about knocking on them, taking away races, or, you know, just the low attendance figures, when you're not going to races, you exactly. know, I, like, I, I myself went to three races last year, and I mean, even then, I don't want to knock on attendance. I know they're trying to rebound and 
get back to the attendance levels that they want. But, you know, as fans, you know, you can't just sit at home, watch the races on the couch, complain about, oh, the seats are empty and not go to races. You have to do your part. And, and I understand that if the races are, you know, a little too expensive for people, I, I myself paying for the races, you know, know how, how costly it can be. But, you know, it's, it's just the thing, like, you can't call the kettle black if you're not doing anything. Right. I'll probably sound like, like a pitchman for NASCAR here or something, but like, that's kind of the beauty of being a fan of, you know, this sport in particular is that, you know, I think we're really close to the action and we make a big deal we you know we directly impact that we need to get going to more races and speaking of the races we're moving not not too far away moving from Tennessee to for Virginia for uh going to Richmond Raceway what are you looking for at Richmond here um I you know I I actually think this might be Chase Elliott's week to break into the into the winner's circle. Um, he's been really strong on the short tracks this year. Martinsville and, and Brisley on a lot of strength. I think I think Chase Elliott's going to be a guy to beat. Um, I think Kyle Busch is going to be another guy to beat. Richmond's probably his best track outside of Bristol. So um, I think it'll be a uh, interesting thing. But I think one of the – just the most fascinating stat is that Obviously, we're eight races through, and four guys have won the races, but yeah, it's just been guys from Penske and Joe Gibbs. It's been Logano, Keselowski, Hamlin, and Kyle Busch. <laughs> right. And so that that's, like, so interesting to me, like, how they've had a stranglehold on the season when it really I – don't, I don't know if they've necessarily been dominating. You know, there's been guys out front, that, but it just when it's crunch time, you see Logano, Keselowski – and Kyle Busch up there, you know. The, yeah, it's, I, I, it's all about timing, and I think Joe Gibbs has shown that more than any other team this year. And to speak to your point, if I had to pick someone outside of Joe Gibbs or Penske to win a race right now, um, Elliott and Kurt Busch would be my top two picks probably. Yeah, um, it'd be interesting. They, the It seems like the arrow and engine package – it's it's made it a little bit more difficult to kind of follow a guy and that you have to kind of almost take a different line to be able to get into position to pass someone. Yeah. So it would be interesting to see at Richmond because Richmond has been um, kind of a two, two-lane track the past few years. You know, you've seen the, uh, the uh, kind of the middle line has been able to work passing people and getting around the track. So it would be kind of interesting to see that, but. Yeah, I'm going to go with uh, Chase Elliott as my winner this week. I like that. That's a that's a strong pick. That's a strong pick. You have a, a little history nugget you want to share this week? Uh, yeah. Uh, history nugget is from April 14, 1996, uh, at Old Old North Wilkesboro Speedway. Terry Labonte mm-hmm. tied Richard Petty with. Uh, 513 consecutive starts and actually won the race. He ran his silver Ironman uh, paint scheme, but I think it was kind of interesting. Um, I mean, Terry Labonte himself, Hall of Famer, great guy, but kind of interesting. The whole Ironman of NASCAR, how it's kind kind of changed the guards. Uh, Terry Labonte ended up with 655 uh, consecutive starts before he broke his collarbone at, um, at Indianapolis in 2000. And he had to give up that uh, 
streak. But the interesting thing was um, this was rumored to be happening. Dale Earnhardt actually was going to pass Terry Labonte in 2001 before he ultimately passed away. And there was a rumored he was going to run an Iron Man paint scheme and that stuff. Um, unfortunately, never got to see the light of day. Wonder if there's a concept anywhere in Sam Bass's uh, archives, but uh, it's just kind of interesting looking at these guys. Jeff Gordon ended up, he's got the Ironman streak right now with 797, uh, passing Ricky Rudd, who ended his streak in 2005. But you got guys like Bobby Labonte, who are up there, Rusty Wallace. Um, but the most interesting thing is, I'm thinking of guys right now who could possibly get up there, and I'm thinking Joey Logano might be a strong uh, factor uh, since Kyle Busch broke his leg in 2015 and wouldn't be able to. But thinking how Logano got in at age 18 and seemingly has stayed healthy his entire career, I think he would be a, a strong candidate to maybe come up and break Jeff Gordon's record. Yeah, he is a strong candidate. And I got to say about Logano, I, I texted you about this the other day. That that auto trader paint scheme, man, on the twenty two, it it looks good. I, I like that auto trader paint scheme more and more each time Logano drives it. I agree. He uh, he, uh, I, I I've liked that paint scheme since Keselowski uh, debuted it and won last year in Vegas. I thought it's a it's a slick scheme. I'm not really a fan of kind of the the template that Penske has kind of gone with with like Logano's spikes or whatever they call it with the shell pencil using that for every scheme it's like yeah you know do something different like it's not it wasn't even his scheme to begin with it was based off of Kurt Busch's Legends car back in the day and they just kept it at Penske so I don't know I, I like the auto trader scheme too but speaking of Logano I think you have uh Joe Logano as your Richmond race winner I do, yeah. I mean, we like we were talking about the the dominance of JG, JGR and Penske. I mean, he's one of only four drivers to have won a race this year. And he finished fourth in this race last year, but he won the first and second stages. So I think Logano's a strong pick to pick up the win here at Richmond. And then my eliminator pick this week, I'm going out on a limb. It's, it's a risky pick, but it, it's high risk, but it's potentially high reward. I'm going to go with Kyle Larson. He very, very much he's been struggling. Ever since he finished sixth at back at Phoenix, it's been, you know, a downhill slide from there. 12th at Auto Club, 18th at Martinsville, 39th at Texas, 19th at Bristol. But we've seen the success that his teammate Kurt Busch has had. I'm going to take a chance that this is the week that Larson responds with a strong race. I mean, he finished seventh here last last year's in this race so he knows this track and i think he'll do well this weekend i think logano is a strong pick he's got the best uh best average finish of anyone from since 2017 he's got a win has three top fives uh out of the four races so i think that's a strong pick to win um and kyle larson i mean he got a win at richmond way back in i believe 2017 2017 uh in the target car yeah, yeah so i think it, so i think that's a uh, a pretty good pick um i'm gonna go with my eliminator i'm gonna go with ryan newman it just seems like he's been running really well this year and, he has been and even though you know he's he hasn't really shown too much strength recently at uh richmond i'm gonna go out and say he gets a a good finish he got a top five uh, uh in the last four races he finished third in one of them so I think Newman's going to rebound and have another strong week because, I mean, he's been just 
quietly super consistent this year. So he absolutely has been. Ben, anything else, man? Uh, still ahead in the driver uh, <laughs> eliminator. Dropped my average finish down to ten point four two. Unfortunately, you got your average finish up last week, but. Uh, Dude, one guy that's really, speaking of the Eliminator, one guy's really starting to impress me. I think he's gaining the confidence, Suarez, at Stuart Haas in the 41. He's figuring it out, I think. Oh, he really is. I mean, he's he's coming into his own, and I think uh, I think him and Byron are starting to get better. Byron obviously really kind of had a, a bad day from the get-go, but, yeah, Daniel Suarez is a guy who – after just getting rooted out for Martin Truex, who's another story, but um, yeah, the bizarre. Yeah, Truex has just been unheard of this year. Like it's, it's like he's not even in the field. And before I hit the panic button on Truex, I'm just I I think that Carl Edwards in that same car, you know, he he struggled most of 2015 until about the Southern 500, and he started um, turning it on. But yeah, I. I have no idea what's going on with Truex at JGR. I thought that'd be just a seamless transition with Pern, and they were basically running GGR stuff last year. So he's uh exactly man. That was one of my favorite moves of the offseason. I love that addition for for Joe Gibbs. I thought he was going to hit the ground running there, be competing with uh you know Bush and Hamlin, and he's been good, but it just hasn't quite been the case. Nah, he hasn't been. He hasn't been the Martin Truex we've known in the past few years. So um, pressure might be on him, uh, especially going forward when the debate of where Christopher Bell is going to end up. He's gonna probably got to start picking it up. Or I don't think this year they would root him out. But if this, if it doesn't work out, he might be the guy to get the boot for C uh, Bell over at JGR. Yeah, whether it's uh, you know whoever eric jones or potentially someone else these these next round of contract negotiations at joe gibbs i bet are uh gonna be mighty interesting with with chris bell waiting in the wings absolutely all right appreciate y'all listening you can check us out on soundcloud or our twitter account drop the hammer podcast and i'm sure ben and i will both retweet it on our twitter accounts as well talk to y'all next time